Hola, hola, chulas. It's Dalina, or Dalina, actually. I'm practicing this, everyone. I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Your Latina Nutrition with Dalina. That's me. What you are about to listen to is not a professional coaching or counseling session. Each episode is a one-time conversation and is meant for educational purposes. We are dietitians, but we are not your dietitian. Remember that podcasts don't constitute treatment. If you have concerns about your dieting behaviors, seek out guidance from a medical or mental health professional. And if you're ready to eat without guilt and enjoy cultural foods, apply for a coaching program from today's sponsor, me. I'm currently enrolling clients into my one-on-one programs, group programs, and I'm also offering a self-paced course for diet culture disruptors. Apply for the program that fits your needs at yourlatinanutrition.com. Hola, hola, chulas. Hi there. So excited to be here with another client story. Delina, why don't you introduce her? Yes. So today I have a client. Um, who worked with me a while ago. Meli is what I'm calling her because we have dos Melisas and una Dalina here today. So in order to differentiate (laughs) who we're talking to, and um, so it's easier for you, we have Melisa, which today is just going to say, it's just going to roll out of me because it it just feels like I'm going to be very Spanish today. That's okay. Um, Melisa and Meli. Um, So Meli is a formal client of mine and I am just so excited for her to share her journey and how it's impacted her work um, because I just I just love her story so I'm not going to talk anymore and I'm just going to let Meli tell us about herself what she does for a living and how working with me helped you. Okay uh, my, my name is Meli as uh, <laughs> Delina in a very long intro very, of that. Very yes. long intro, sorry. sorry. <laughs> I am a pediatrician and I live in Los Angeles and I learned about Delina on Instagram, actually. Um, I started following her once I kind of got into the anti-diet movement, which I had just discovered. And so I started following her and then after a while kind of learning, I wanted to learn more. And then I found out that she does one-on-one um, sessions with people. So I signed up for that last year, I think around August or July. I don't even remember at this point. And, uh, yeah. So then we started working together then. And then I noticed kind of pretty quickly when I started learning about intuitive eating, that it kind of changed my practice when I was, uh, seeing patients and talking to them about weight and diet and everything. So Yay! So I, I love to hear that because Meli and I have kind of like become friends. Like we, we just text all the <laughs> yes. time now. Like it just, it just flourished. <laughs> um, and so really, I just, I'm so inspired by how you went from, you know, being a pediatrician who had to, right, kind of like counsel in a certain way to being able to change the way that you talk to your patients and the kids in a very non-judgmental way. So I kind of want to ask you, you know, what, what was it about intuitive eating that really helped you kind of like change the way that you were talking to these kids and these families? I think I had been frustrated for a, a while 
about how we were seeing patients in clinic for weight checks every three to six months. And we would tell them, you know, what we were taught to tell them in medical school and residency, which isn't a lot. We don't get a lot of training on nutrition and diet in residency. And I, I was being, I was getting frustrated at seeing them come back at every visit. And, you know, sometimes they would lose weight and then we would be really excited and congratulate them. And then, you know, they come back later and then they've gained the weight or they just don't lose weight and they just Mm -hmm. keep gaining weight, keep gaining weight. And their parents dutifully bring them in, but I didn't really see any change with what we were doing. And of course we have programs that we can refer to and everything, but it's also adherence was low to that. And so I think when I, when I, kind of was looking into intuitive eating for myself, I didn't expect at all that the a byproduct of that would then include me kind of changing how I see patients and their day-to-day struggles and how, I, how I've talked to them differently since then about diet, exercise, things like that. Yeah. So I think that something that you and I always talk about is just the frustration of it always going to your child needs to eat better, move more and they have to lose weight, right? Like it's this idea that somehow these children are in control of growing. (laughs) Somehow they're supposed to change their body or or stop their body from changing, which is completely normal. Yeah, I mean, kids grow, kids gain weight. I don't, I get very concerned if, especially infants are losing weight. Any kid under the age of two, you really don't want them to be losing weight. So why automatically does that change after two? And obviously you have medical conditions that you evaluate for if you have rapid gain of weight, things like that. But kids that we're seeing where it's, you know, they're at the cutoff between overweight, obese, things like that, Mm -hmm. the the medical terms for that. Yeah. And she's using quotations like me and Melissa use. (laughs) We put them in quotations because we know that we don't like those words. Yeah. If you could see this video, you'd see a bunch of flying quotations. (laughs) (laughs) that you know it it got me wondering like why do we keep obsessing about having them lose weight and that being the end point because clearly what we're telling them to do isn't working overall because we're not seeing them lose the weight Mm -hmm. and you know I think a lot of times and we know that from studies with doctors that they will blame the patients for not yeah not losing the weight and keeping Mm -hmm. it off and Mm -hmm. I've heard it from my own doctors saying like well you just need to do this and you need to Mm -hmm. lose weight well, it's very easy if you've been thin your entire life to tell someone who's been overweight their entire <laughs> life to just lose weight. Yeah. <laughs> the quotations are flying yeah. again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I think I wanna I wanna emphasize again that like children have different growth spurts, right? I think and you said you you guys don't really learn a lot of nutrition in your in your residency, which then goes to show you a lot of this <laughs> is also the problem. Um but again, children grow at different levels. And, and what I always um, like to tell parents that I work with is we want to follow the growth curve, right? If we see them dropping off or we see them moving in a different direction and they're not following their growth curve, then there might be an issue, right? And you said that there's mm-hmm. some issues that you look at if there's some rapid, you know, growth. I'm going to use growth and not yes. wait just, just for that. Um, and I'm going to say that it's probably more hormonal related, correct? If that happens. Typically, they yes, they will get yes. a referral to an endocrinologist. Yeah. yeah. So it seems like it's something that's out of their, 
their control, control right? Yes. Like this is something that's just happening to their body. And most of the time it evens out. Like it definitely shouldn't be like a concern of like, you have to do this because it usually always kind of like evens out, steadies out with, with growth. Yeah. I think if it's, if it's some, a medical condition that's causing rapid weight gain, then mm -hmm. it has to be addressed. And then mm -hmm. after that, typically yeah. it will, you know, um, and that, and you would have different difficulties, but that's kind of yeah. not, I think what we're talking about yeah, here, no. we're talking about yeah. kids who are gaining weight because of, for different reasons, mm -hmm. um, whether it's because they live in a food desert and their family mm -hmm. can't afford anything other than mm -hmm. fast food mm -hmm. or things like that. So I, I think this is the, the first, I think six months that I've been using the term food desert with my residents, asking mm -hmm. them, where do they live? Do they have easy, you know, close access? Do they have a car? Mm -hmm. well, where's the closest grocery store? Is the mm -hmm. closest grocery store a 10 minute drive? Because that's mm -hmm. going to be a really long walk if they don't have a car. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what, what kind of, is their neighborhood safe to even walk in? Because yes. that's actually yes. a very big concern for our patient population. Yes. I often will hear that the families say like, I don't feel comfortable having my kids walk in the neighborhood mm -hmm. because we very often will hear gunshots. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. to just tell someone you should be walking in your neighborhood, that's free. <laughs> Yeah, is not, you know, you have to know where they are and whether or not they even feel safe doing that. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we, you have to tailor your recommendations to that. And I, I noticed, I never did that during residency. When I, when I trained, I never, you know, we had some idea, but it wasn't with every family. I think people make assumptions when they mm -hmm. see the family mm -hmm. about what, or what they can and cannot afford, what they can and can't be doing, which mm -hmm. is detrimental because then mm -hmm. you're making, you know, they make an assumption like, well, they're just not losing weight because they, they're being lazy when really they, you know, you have a single parent who's got five kids who really can't afford to make a meal every night because they're working. You know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot that I think is assumed about patients and what they're going through. Well, that's um, it. Like the stigma gets yeah, reinforced. Stigma. Exactly. And mm -hmm. I think, so fun fact, my first job was at a pediatric weight management clinic. I don't Whoa. know if you knew this. Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't know this. Um, I was like bright eyed, bushy tailed right out of college. I desperately wanted to work in peds. My first job, I wanted to work in GI, I got a job in a weight management clinic and we would see stuff like this all the time. All the time. Um, and I just had, you were, as you're saying this, I was remembering this story of one client who came in who was food insecure. And even when you're doing these assessments, mm -hmm. like you're doing such a nice job with your residents, yeah. you're still making assumptions. So yes. here we are like thin white lady being like, oh my God, food insecure solution, yeah. food pantries, right? That's what yes. we start. That's what we think. <laughs> I know what I'll do. And so well-meaning resource people are listing out all the food pantries mm -hmm. in the area. I give this to a mom. She comes back. She went and took three buses to get to this food pantry. Mm -hmm. There was about two or three containers of food left, mm -hmm. all of which were on our quote, red food list foods that, oh, my God. that we, and so that was the moment for me that I realized how silly this mm -hmm. is as an intervention, <laughs> Yes, because this woman did what we, the experts told her to do. And then after all that burden with kids on a bus found out that all she has access to are foods that we're, we're stigmatizing yeah. as the one causing the weight problem. Like, mm -hmm. And this started to dismantle the things for me. And so it's, it's, it's so much more nuanced. And I love, mm -hmm. I love how you bring that to your approach as a doctor. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And I actually used to work in early intervention. And a lot of the times, those are the, 
those were the the cases I was getting like oh you need to go see this family because obviously they're feeding the kids the wrong thing like in the referral it would be like parents are not feeding their kids fruits and vegetables and it's like um yeah because we're in Philadelphia and we have one of the biggest food desert areas in the country and I'm sorry but if I have a family that's coming in and could only afford to feed their kid McDonald's guess what I'm gonna do I'm gonna educate them Give yeah. them enough first. Exactly. I'm going to educate them on like, hey, let's make sure that you're eating, right? Because I'd rather you give your kid food, like a, a, you know, a breakfast sandwich from McDonald's than be so afraid of the McDonald's that you give them a Red Bull. Because I saw that happening. Because they'd be so afraid and stigmatized, right? From people telling them that feeding them their kids from fast food places was going to cause all of this damage, that they would rather go to a corner store and give them a Red Bull because they've heard that is a, a health, you know, it's, it's considered like a, a health juice or whatever, right? A lot of people like it gives you energy, right? So yeah. it's marketed that way. And then they thought it would give their kid energy for the day. And so they would do that instead, actually, you know, being more detrimental than if you just went to the fast food place and got a breakfast sandwich. Yeah. And they think they're genuinely doing what's good for their kid. And that's, what's frustrating sometimes is, is people will, you know, well-meaning take, take things out of the diet that don't necessarily need to be taken out of. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I mean, part of the reason that I wanted to work with you was also because I'm Latina and I had never seen a Latina nutritionist and every nutritionist that I had talked to previously (laughs) had told me that you can't have rice and beans. You can't have this and have that. And I remember like over the past couple of years, like having residents, hearing residents, tell patients like they can't have as many tortillas they can't have as many like and it's it it made me feel like my cultural food was bad for me when clearly not every latino is overweight in you know latin america so it's not the food it's, also you know <laughs> whole civilizations have emerged off of these exactly. foods exactly like, <laughs> it's been working for some time millennia yeah. So it almost made it in my head, made it seem like my cultural foods were bad for me. So for a long Mm -hmm. time, I wouldn't cook them as Mm -hmm. often. I would cook for them as a treat. Yeah. (laughs) A treat. (laughs) As a treat, you know, for, you know, and I would get so excited about it. And now I find that I'm making it more and more and reconnecting with my culture and making foods that my grandmother used to make for me when I was younger and just, you know, eating when I'm hungry and stopping when I'm full. It's not perfect happens doesn't I don't always stop when I'm full but you know it's a process and that's okay <laughs> yeah and it, exactly and it's okay and we know from doing this work that fullness is ebb and flow just like hunger is ebb and mm-hmm. flow and that everything just kind of like moves and grooves throughout the day and sometimes the food is so good that yes you're gonna eat it and sometimes it has such an emotional co- connection to it right your abuela made it for you yeah you're gonna eat to to feel that connection to her and sometimes that is past fullness And there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with that. And I think, you know, something that I very much want to stress is also that being overweight is not wrong, right? Or, you know, that that these are terms that are used to pathologize people, right? And we're even pathologizing our children, right? So I, I just cringe every time we hear these words because you're saying that there's something wrong with that person for, mm-hmm. and, and we use it medically, right? Like, again, like oh, you're yeah, a doctor, I've, it's thrown yeah. around everywhere. <laughs> I've seen it document. Yes. I've seen it documented in charts where someone will put a four month old and say that they're overweight. Oh my God. Can okay. you seriously? Seriously? Okay. Yeah. It's a four month old who's yeah. breastfed 
they're going to regulate themselves. Yes. Yeah. I mean, basically the only time I tell formula fed baby parents to decrease on formula fed babies, if they're spitting up, cause that's the baby telling yeah. you we're eating too much <laughs> you know? or if the parents use it as a self, as a soothing for the babies, like the yeah. baby cries. And the first thing they do is stick a bottle in their mouth. It's like, no, that's not always the answer, but I mean, regulate. Yeah, babies are pretty regulatory, like self-regulatory. <laughs> it's important to remember those growth curves too mm -hmm. work statistically similar to the BMI curves in adults, mm -hmm. which is to mm -hmm. say they are normalized from mm -hmm. sets of data. Mm -hmm. And so yes. we're, we're looking yes. at those interrelation to whatever the sample size that produced the data in the first place. Uh -huh. I wish I did research prior. I don't exactly recall where the source of data came from for the normalized mm -hmm. growth curves. Um, if anyone remembers that, that's great. If not, let's research that. <laughs> I'm pretty but, sure it's not diverse though. And that's, no, I do know that it's not diverse. It's mostly, it's mostly white babies, right? Yeah. yeah. Which again, is going to be different when you look at the growth curve of another. So it's what we have, you know, like, and I mm -hmm. think especially BMI or BMI or uh, height weight measurements are a little mm -hmm. bit different than in the adult population, because as we're talking about, like growth trajectory is something mm -hmm. that we want to see. Um, and particularly things like head circumference can relate to nutrition status. So <laughs> yes, like we, yes. we're not saying that these are, are uh, not useful pieces of data, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's important to not get so um, locked into like, mm -hmm. I should be at this percentage or this mm -hmm. percentage. Mm -hmm. Your doctor is the best person to help you interpret the trajectory and what yes, that might mean yes. for your child's growth. Yes. yes. And that's, you know, I think that's what I was always taught when I was doing the the um, early intervention is that they're following their own curve line, right? Like they're going, it doesn't matter what percentage they are. It's just as long as that curve seems to be stable and I hate yes. using that word as well, right? It seems, you know, it looks like it's, it's going in the right direction, but I think that any change, I think it's more worrisome when you see it drop, right? Than it is if it goes up. Yeah. I mean, I, I worry a lot when, when I see kids who are following the curve and then start losing weight. Yes um, for no particular reason, you know, like it's not a teenager who quote unquote is trying to lose weight. Um, it, you know, if you see a three-year-old who all of a sudden isn't growing, mm -hmm. you know, the first thing you see is the, the weight drop off. Then if it's really for a long time, then you'll see the length and eventually head circumference. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do, I do worry more may, and, and part of it is hard to know, is it because we're, we see much more commonly the opposite, Mm -hmm. And so we're kind of trained to have our little spidey sense go off, yeah. and see it, you know, yeah. decrease, but, um, you know, we're just, you know, kids grow. So we're yeah. expecting them to follow that curve and gain weight as they grow. And so mm -hmm. if they lose weight, then we look into it and try to figure out why. Yeah. So I think my next question is how, because you've changed the way that you practice and you changed the way that you talk and counsel your, your patients. So can you give parents any tips on how they can um, discuss with their pediatrician um, when uh, a, a pediatrician brings up like a weight concern of their child is gaining too much or um, uses the BMI as a, like and uses the O words in, in it like and, and that's very jarring for a parent to hear right like yes can you give maybe some tips on what questions they may ask to get down to to the bottom of it instead of like you know feeling defensive sometimes or like um bad about the situation, I would say. Like, it's a very weird position to be in as a parent. Yeah. I think the first thing that I've, that I've tried to avoid doing is talking about the weight in front of the child. Yes. 
Um, so if the parent would say, you know, if, if the parent has an inkling that they think the doctor might bring it up or mm -hmm. if they're, you know, if they're, if they want to just be proactive mm -hmm. and tell the doctor who they're going to be seeing, you know, mm -hmm. for the next couple of years, mm -hmm. I don't want to discuss any weight concerns in front of my child. I would say that's kind of the first thing because we are, the other thing that we're seeing is a lot of eating disorders mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we're seeing, and I'm even, I've noticed, you know, when I was in residency, you know, it's, it was, pre, it's, you know, I think the education is prevalent when you're, when you're, you know, in the clinics, but I'm seeing even more and more, my residents are becoming more attuned to eating disorders and eating disorder behaviors to mm -hmm. then ask the, the, the children in private. Um, so I think that part of that I think would can start if early on the child is hearing in the doctor's office or from their parents that they're overweight and they need to lose weight and things like that, mm -hmm. you know, that can, that can lit down the line, cause body image issues mm -hmm. and, and, you know, possibly lead to eating disorders. So I think that would probably be the, the, one of the main things I would recommend is letting the doctor know that you don't want to discuss any weight issues in front of the child. And so they can pull you, uh, you know, pull you out to just discuss them privately. Mm -hmm. um, I think ask more, uh, uh, giving more information on what the day-to-day -day life is mm -hmm. and what things might make it difficult to get all the nutrients that the kids need mm -hmm. to grow and, mm -hmm. and nourish their bodies. Like what mm -hmm. are the things that would prevent them from being able to do that? Mm -hmm. Because I think telling people like, yeah, you need to exercise 30 minutes a day, seven <laughs> days a week. Like not everybody has time to do that. You know, it, you know, if you have kids who are go, you know, they might be doing sports, they might be doing tutoring, they might be doing this and that might not be possible. Mm -hmm. um, so starting from maybe from, from, I feel like some, you know, something that would be attainable, having really realistic attainable goals yeah. Yeah. of, you know, this is our life. This is our day-to-day -day life. And I think that then gives the doctor a good idea of, okay, so then let's see what we can do nutrition wise. Let's see how we can incorporate movement. Um, I also would probably advise people to, to kind of also let their doctor know that, that exercise is a part of life and it's not for weight loss. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody should be, you know, exercising, not just because <laughs> I love hearing you say that. <laughs> um, because I, yeah, because I, rem growing up, that was rammed into my head was yeah. exercise was for people to lose weight. So I often, even in high school, when I heard someone saying that they went jogging or whatever, I remember thinking like, but why you're thin Yeah. in my head, it was exercise is only for people who need to lose weight. Mm -hmm. So exercise is for everybody and not, it doesn't have to be, it's not all size, you know, one size fits all. It doesn't have mm -hmm. to be jogging for everybody. It mm -hmm. doesn't have, you know, it, it should be enjoyable, you know, mm -hmm. and different people enjoy different things. Yep. So do what's good for you and do what makes your body feel good. Um, and, and the other thing is don't use exercise as a form of punishment, which not a lot of people <laughs> do, but if you do use it as a form of punishment, then that creates a negative relationship with exercise for children mm -hmm. and they won't want to exercise. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's not done explicitly, but I will say that I think sometimes parents think they're doing, mm -hmm. doing good or they mm -hmm. feel fear. Like I saw, you know, so-and-so eat chips, mm -hmm. let's go outside and, and play. Right? Yeah. So now like there's this conditioning that can start to happen with like, mm -hmm. why is mom and dad acting so weird every time I eat this food? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so that's another thing that I think trips people up big time is, is their internal fear 
And that's why I think it's helpful for you if you have that concern dealing with your relationship with food so you can model even better mm-hmm. for your kids yes. and have these convos. Yeah, and I also talk to parents about, you know, the the whole no food is good or bad. You know, we need certain nutrients <laughs> to nourish our body. Yeah. You know, and I say this pretty frequently with the parents like, you know, if you tell if if I tell you now you can't have donuts, you can't have donuts, you can't have donuts, you can't have donuts, then the next time you see a donut, what are you going to do? You're going to eat all the donuts you can manage because you've been told that donuts are bad and you can't have donuts. Um, So I tell them, you know, foods aren't, foods aren't off limits, you know, you know, so if a, if a kid, it's an hour before dinner and the kid says they're hungry and they want a little, a packet of graham crackers, fine, let them have the graham crackers. Then if they don't eat as much during dinner, that's fine, you know? It's, you know, making sure that when they're hungry, they eat, you know, not telling Mm -hmm. them they can't eat where, you know, dinner's going to be done. You know, if dinner's going to be done in five minutes, then come on. But, you know, (laughs) if if dinner's an hour away and they're really hungry, you know, have a little snack. Um, I think that, you know, kind of letting kids trust their own bodies, just like Mm -hmm. adults need to relearn a lot of the times, you know, letting them learn to trust their bodies and nourish their bodies. Um, is going to be better in the long run than telling them like, you can't have that extra tortilla or you can't have, you know, rice and beans. Cause it's yeah. a lot of carbs. Um, well, you know, and then, and then kids will grow up having a better relationship. Yeah. With food. yeah. It's funny. Cause I hear a lot of the things that I tell you, I told you while we were working together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what did you think? I came up with my own ideas. <laughs> We learn them somewhere once too. We year. also learn them. Um, this is this is an awakening. <laughs> a proud moment for me here. <laughs> but it makes sense. I almost feel like I I did tell you when we were working together that I on some level I think I had been trying to find intuitive eating for a long time. I had been saying like if I could just really just listen to myself when I'm hungry mm-hmm. or when I'm full and things like that. I think my relationship with food would be even better. But it would be better. But I I didn't know intuitive eating had it that name and it was a thing, yeah. you know? So it, it, but I, for years I had been saying that. And then when I started learning about it, I was like, this is what I've been talking about. <laughs> Just this is learning. What I knew was always right. Yeah. Like learning to trust yourself. Yeah. Learning to, to know that you can trust to have food around, um, that you can, and your children are able to trust themselves too. I you think know. that that's, again, remember as you're thinking through this, that part of the, the reason why you have trust issues with food could have began because you weren't allowed to trust yourself around food because maybe the adult in your life would tell you that you couldn't trust yourself around food. So all of that kind of like translates in adulthood, right? Yeah. And so we don't want that happening to our kids. It, exactly. It's helping them trust. Um, and if they get a stomachache, they learn sometimes. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, and that's a, another big thing I think is that, that people might not realize it's, it's glaringly obvious to your children if you have issues with food. Yes. So, you know, they'll pick up on that and mm-hmm. they might start showing those same behaviors. So if you, you know, I think part of the thing for, for families, especially if it's generational, you know, you know, people just need to reconnect with themselves. Mm-hmm. Everybody does, not only the children, but, you know, the parents, maybe the grandparents and just kind of reconnect with their own bodies and learn, you know, their hunger cues and their satiety cues and, you know, kind of just listen to their bodies. 
Mm-hmm. Thank you for saying that. Yes. Um, I feel like so many clients come in like, yeah, I'm not letting my kids see mm-hmm. this. I don't say anything mm-hmm. to them. And I think that's a great first start. It's probably more than they got mm-hmm. growing up. Yeah. Um, and sometimes these little passive conditioned things are getting picked up on at the same time. So it's worth digging deeper. And also moms and dads, we don't have to suffer through and white knuckle yeah. through parenting. No, you, you can feel good. <laughs> you can allow yourself peace. Yeah. Um, to be a role model. Yes. But just for the sake of it <laughs> for yourself, that's yeah. okay. Yes. And remember the whole reason why Melissa and I started this <laughs> podcast was to break the diet cycle for mm. you to be the first in your family Number to one. break it so that your children can grow up with a better relationship with food so that they don't have to deal with this. Right. Like, I think yeah. that that's, that's, that's the, the goal of this and, and I how think, we break stigma, like, and how we break that stigma yes. coming back around to like, why it's so hard at the doctor's office and why it's so hard in our medical training is like the stigma exists mm-hmm. and we are all doing what's called confirmation bias. We're looking, <laughs> we're looking for what we learned already to exist, yeah. whether or not it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, so super yeah. important. Yes. And just like adults, children also have body diversity. And I think that's yeah. also very important to point out that, kids come in all different sizes too (laughs) and you don't have to worry about it you just let the kids grow yep so so yes so I think you answered my last question which was any tips for parents who are worried about their children's weight I think you kind of hit some things but um like from your medical experience <laughs> why shouldn't they worry so much about that number on the scale well i think the the biggest thing for me is bmi doesn't capture everything so the doctors you, doctors are trained to use bmi when mm-hmm. kids are over the age of 2 under the age of 2 we don't use it mm-hmm. we shouldn't be using it um because of the difference in body composition but mm-hmm. the the thing is that the same thing happens with different bodies so i've seen football players in my clinic who are, you know, tall, muscular Mm -hmm. on their BMI, it's listed Mm -hmm. as obese Mm -hmm. and because they're so muscular. Mm -hmm. So BMI doesn't take into account, you know, the muscle to to fat composition, you know, of the body. And so the BMI might might not accurately be showing you the, the relative risk of down the line, developing diabetes or down the line, developing high blood pressure, things like Mm -hmm. that. Um, so for me, the more important thing that I've started looking at is the behaviors, not the numbers on the, not the number on the scale, which is why during the pandemic, I have been totally fine doing weight checks from home, like phone, (laughs) because I don't, yeah, I'm not as focused on the number. I'm focused more on kind of the behaviors and the attitudes towards food. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the more important thing, you know, we're, f- that, and that's kind of why we've changed it. You know, I think all of us have, you know, and I've talked to colleagues, endocrinologists who, you know, do the, the, a lot of work with diabetes and everything. And they were also expressing kind of that sort of frustration where, you know, they were focused so much on the number and saying like, eat healthy, exercise this amount, and they weren't really seeing results. So we're kind of all changing our practice to kind of reflect more the behavior and focusing more on, you know, stuff that, that we talked about during our sessions, incorporating nutrition and 
not as much recommending restriction of things, mm -hmm. um, making sure that the kids are getting the nutrients they need to grow and flourish instead of focusing on what they can't do, you know, because yeah. I think focusing on what you can't or shouldn't be doing hasn't been working for us. You know, I think, you know, we have so many people in this, in the country who are quote unquote, overweight, obese, all this stuff. And it's not, it's, it's just a reflection. I think of people have different bodies. There are, you know, food deserts, socioeconomic status, what, you know, so many different things. No access not, to healthcare. Yeah. No, you know, no, no health insurance things. So many things. It's not this quote unquote laziness that I hear that I see kind of per, projected on social media, yeah. on TV, on all this stuff. It's just so multifactorial. It's, it's insulting to just say it's because of person. Yeah. yeah. And I think, um, I think it's important to also remember that like things like blood pressure and diabetes, food and exercise aren't the only thing that affect your risk, not mm -hmm. sleeping enough, stress, stress levels. levels. <laughs> <laughs> we know. Medics. Jinx. Yep. <laughs> yeah so genetics is a big one yeah, genetics yeah. so so again it's it's focusing like you said on like looking at the overall picture which is what melissa and i are constantly talking about right like looking at all of the factors that can be affecting your health not just the number on the scale yeah, yeah. not yeah not just the number on the scale not just the food not just the exercise mm -hmm. Because I think sleep is a huge one. Yeah. I mean, especially amongst teenagers yeah. when we're talking about sleep hygiene. I mean, I really, that's These the other thing that I bones. think. Yes, that's the other thing that I've been really trying to focus on and not in a, try to not say it in a judgmental way or anything, but like, you know, making sure that you get enough sleep. Teenagers need a lot of sleep to function and they're not getting it on average. But you and have to tell me, how much does a teenager need? Oh, they need like 11, 12 hours. What? Really? That's like a yeah. baby. I know they're almost like big babies because they're growing. <laughs> their bodies are their little. Their bodies are I didn't growing know it was so that much. Though. That reproductive I mean, system. Yeah. Look, that reproductive yeah. I mean, system. It's begging for that nutrition. I, <laughs> that's yeah. when they grow in their sleep. I know that. But we like, yeah, I, I mean that much. We more. tell them. I ideally, I mean, we you know we tell them. Um, I think in like the recommendation. Um, the, I think for the AAP, it's like nine or 10 hours, but really okay. they should really, um, they should really be getting like nine to 12. Like, yeah. you know, I think it, it or, or at least nine or 10, I think. Um, yeah. Just wow. because they, are, yeah, they're, it's such a puberty is a period of huge growth. So it makes mm -hmm. sense that if as infants, which is a period of huge growth mm -hmm. that they would hitting this that they would need a lot of sleep that <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of things enter, on here <laughs> once they enter another period of huge growth like puberty that they're gonna again need a lot of sleep and you know because of um you know social media and mm -hmm. tv and all that mm -hmm. they're not getting it as much they're texting at night and so we do mm -hmm. a lot of sleep hygiene on on uh I, I do a lot of um talking to them anticipatory guidance on sleep hygiene um, just to ensure that they're getting better sleep, you know, and, you know, I think when they don't sleep, then they drink these highly caffeinated beverages. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I have, a, you know, in the past I've had, a, you know, I've talked to teenagers who I, I talked to one teenager who told me like, she couldn't understand why she couldn't sleep at night. And when I kind of got into the nitty gritty and asked her what happens when she says she wakes up in the middle of the night, she walks around, sometimes she drinks something. And I said, but what do you drink? And she told me Mountain Dew. And I was like, Oh no, there's a lot of caffeine in Mountain Dew. And she just genuinely had, didn't know. 
Um, so she didn't know that she was legitimately helping to cause these sleep problems. <laughs> um, but you know, if they're drinking a lot of coffee, drinking a lot of, a lot of caffeinated, you know, like Red Bull, things like that, mm -hmm. that's also going to affect their sleep. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, you know, you have to ask a lot of questions to kind of get into what exactly they're doing to get enough, to try to get enough sleep, um, to try to help them get enough sleep. Yeah. Oh my God, you just taught me something today because I really did not think it was that much. I was like, yeah, like nine, like nine yeah, hours, like an adult almost. <laughs> let's, let's double check. Yeah, teenagers, yeah, teenagers ages 13 to 18 should sleep eight to 10 hours. 18? Can you, who was sleeping that long when they were 18? <laughs> I mean, I was on the not weekends, but <laughs> yeah. not during, not during, during the week. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe this, school, is, this is why we need to change school hours. <laughs> yeah, that 7.30 for high school was ridiculous. Yeah, so that's another thing. You hear this government education system? Change that up. <laughs> I thought you were talking to like the government in the computer or something. It's like, yeah, like are they listening to the recording? <laughs> like, oh. Delane is now going to talk about her conspiracy theories the rest of the episode. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, <laughs> on that note, we're going to end. <laughs> oh my God. Well, I just want to say, I think it's so cool, Delina, that you and Melissa found each other. Um, I know how much it means to work whenever I get to work with like teachers, yeah. medical providers, anyone who's around yeah. kids, like it's such an impact. So congrats on your success, Melissa. And I love, I love what you're doing with your, your kids. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I'm excited that you were here. I'm excited that everybody got to hear how crazy we are in real life when we talk to each other and that you were able. <laughs> I feel like this might have been subdued, but. <laughs> this is how our sessions always went. There was more laughter than actually laughter. There's a lot of sidetracking. <laughs> yes, a lot of jokes. Um, so yeah, I'm so happy that you were able to, to share some of this information so that parents aren't so worried about things that are just so natural when, when children are growing and, um, and what we should be focusing on is this overall health, this overall approach. And I'm it just, it's so sad that diet culture has like sucked parents in. And then because we, we want to do quote unquote, the healthy thing, mm -hmm. we project it to our children, not realizing that sometimes that can cause more harm than good. So yeah, I, I'm happy that you were able to kind of like bust some of these myths a little <laughs> bit. Um, you know, we could talk about a lot of other things, but I think, you know, I loved, I think my biggest takeaway from this conversation is that you should tell your pediatrician that you do not want to discuss weight in front of your children. Like, I feel like so many clients tell me that their issues began when a pediatrician told them that something was wrong with their weight and spirals, especially in the teenage years. I mean, what the average girl is on a diet at 12, like yeah. that's, that's Super insane. Young. And I've heard five and six-year-olds say that they're getting called fat. At to you? Yeah, they've told me. Oh no. And kids, uh, children of friends have told me or, or the parents have told me that they have kids at school calling them fat. And, you know, it, it, so we, we, I don't think we realize how young they're getting that message. Yeah. They're very well, young when they understand. Yeah. Heartbreaking. 
Now, see, now we went off on a low note and making me sad. <laughs> well, I would have thought your takeaway would have been the sleep for adolescence, but well, yeah, yeah, we can, but... do, we can also use that takeaway. We, yeah, we, can, no. we just did an episode on toxic positivity. We can handle low notes. Low notes can inspire, <laughs> low notes can inspire change and reflection yeah, and it's yeah, okay. True. It's okay. There's this only, is... I mean, you, you can only go up from here. So yes, that's right. Yes, that's positivity right. will follow. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Meli, for being here. Thank and you for having me. I'm just so excited that we get to share this conversation with everyone. Me too. All right. Bye. Bye, everyone. Talk to you later. I love that Melissa found you. Thank God for Instagram. You guys are such a great match for each other. Yes. I mean, I feel like we literally hit it off the minute we did a discovery call. Like we knew. We knew that this was like a match made in heaven. Um it was just fun. It was so fun working with her. And I mean, I feel like we could have talked for so much longer because, you know, even now when we are, you know, now that we've become like friends, um, just like being able to talk to her about like, like I've sent her so many studies on like, you know, intuitive eating and pediatrics and things like that. And being able to hear how she's able to now introduce that in a non-judgmental way to her yeah. clients is it's so beautiful. You're an amazing mentor. I have seen all this week you have been doing talks with RDs to be. You're like, you're on like the, a tour right now with professionals. Don't, don't hype me up, Melissa. Don't hype me up. I, I mean, it is what it is. A sees what a sees. How, how has that been feeling for you to be able to talk back and like give back to professionals lately? I mean, it feels good. It feels, I mean, you know, because you've worked with people in other professions that sometimes, um, fall into this like weight stigma world and like just this very diet culture place and and being able to kind of just plant the seed like I think that yeah. sometimes you know it's really hard I think even in the medical field to change the, the way that we talk and use certain words because it's so engraved yeah in the literature so engraved in the research um and and it sucks it sucks that these words are used to um to stigmatize people and, and, you know, they fly off our tongue sometimes. Um, so really just even planting the seed of how like we need to change the way that we view bodies and we need to change the way we, we have our relationship with food. Um, even if you just like have someone make one change, I feel like that's enough yeah. for me. Like, you know, and like we said in this episode, like someone once explained this to us, like, yeah, I feel like it's very easy to look at people who are at the end of their journey or like deeper into the journey, understanding mm -hmm. health at every size. Like, oh my mm -hmm. God, what a saint, what a, yeah. what a kind, <laughs> compassionate soul. Like, sure. Yeah. There is compassion in how we approach mm -hmm. now. And maybe we thought we were having compassion before, but you don't mm -hmm. know what you don't know. And so I love that you're getting out there and planting these seeds. It, it does, it's going to make a difference. And I, yeah. I really admire it. I, I've been thinking lately, like, how can we get out of Instagram? Cause that's awesome, but it's a bubble. I know. Like, it is. I am like trying very actively to think about like, how can I get in other spaces mm -hmm. that maybe don't feel as safe and bubbly and secure mm -hmm. to push mm -hmm. myself whenever I hear clients tell these terrible stigmatizing yeah. things that are happening? Yeah, you should. You should try. I mean, but I, I look it, up to you. I do. I do. Thanks. It's awesome. Thanks. And I'm excited that Melissa, Meli. <laughs> she's she's one of your we're gonna call them delina's angels she has been touched by remember that show touched by an angel that, 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 that irish lady i never watched it but i definitely know that oh man that show is you know that i didn't watch things like that growing up Melissa. i know this is where we always have but you're yeah, aware we always, we always go different ways when we talk about pop culture TV. 
TV. But you did show me Walter Mercado and that, That's right. my friends, has changed my life. Um, <laughs> Walter gave her mucho, 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 mucho amor. amor. <laughs> I love it so much. I'm going to watch the documentary again. I was going to say, we watched the documentary. It's, it's really beautiful. What we're referring to is a documentary about Walter Mercado, um, astrologer who is famous in, in the Latin American countries. Mm-hmm. So far, so good. Am I explaining yes, everything? Yes, yes. Um, anyways, I watched a documentary investigated Delina's history with this <laughs> we send each other memes of Walter all the time, all the time. And we love him <laughs> yeah he's, he's like he's like the third friend in our group <laughs> yes he's uh may may he be resting in peace right rest now. in peace Walter we miss him <laughs> we do he was such a bright light in the world <sighs> yes we all right him. my friend well this is another great episode appreciate the work you do it's awesome yay thank you all for listening and if you're here right now take the time to leave us some stars a review and share it with someone that you think could benefit from hearing this episode absolutely stars reviews help us get found there are lots of people kind of like melissa who are trying to label intuitive eating (laughs) but they don't yet have the words and when they find media like ours it really helps so we appreciate support you give us online when you tell friends and support them in finding our pod. We will see you next time, maybe on Insta, just like Delina and I found each other. We want to thank you for being here with us and for being who you are. Peace, love, and break the diet cycle.